Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Kylie, if you knew how hard you've worked, how many lives you've changed, how many families are better, how many moms can actually do the mom things that they want to do and not have their health stop them, then you would continue to stay motivated if you aren't already now. Your hard work will pay off. Your student loans are gone. <laughs> I've got two healthy kids now. You can do one more pregnancy. You did one more pregnancy. It wasn't that hard. You've transformed the brick-and-mortar practice into a virtual practice so you can help more people and be a mom at the same time, and it's all worth it. The country is in a good place. The world's in a good place. Despite all the chaos in 2020, it's all worth it. In five years, it's all worth it. All the struggle, the heartache, the crying. You're transforming what people are doing who are literally changing their lives because you have broken free of the system and you're teaching them how to break free of the system as well. That's me in five years. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Kylie Burton. Kylie and I knew each other back in undergrad. I went to SUU for a few years and I hadn't even been in touch with her in over 12 years. But she reached out to me and she's doing really amazing things. She's a functional medicine doctor and on the podcast we talk a little bit more about what that is and I think it's so fascinating because she ended up getting pregnant at the end of medical school and talks about that experience and what that was like. It's really interesting and inspiring to hear how she's helping so many people to understand more about their bodies and how there are alternative routes in helping them. I wasn't super familiar with functional medicine, so I learned a lot from her. She also shares an experience about how she lost a baby at 20 weeks and what that experience was like for her and how it's helped her and changed her outlook on being a doctor. One of the most interesting things we talk about is vitamin D and how it can help with anxiety and depression. And so I hope you enjoy this interview with Kylie today and learn from her. And she's an amazing woman who is helping lots of people and all while being a mom and doing all of those things as well. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. It's been a really long time since I've seen you and I'm, I'm glad I can learn more about what's going on in your life these days. I'm impressed with all that you've done and just looking into some of your podcasts and different things like that. I feel like even just the few that I listened to, I learned a lot from the research and the things that you're doing. So I'm impressed with all the hard work that you've, you've done. And I, I'm sure that it hasn't been easy. No, it's not, but it's worth it, right? Everything we do is worth it. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. Totally. 
So Kylie, can you just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and tell us a little bit about what you were like as a kid? I grew up in Clinton. The funny thing is, is I grew up in the exact same house I currently live in. My parents bought this house brand new in, let's see, I was eight years old. We moved from Cache Valley to Davis County. I was eight years old, so that was going to be in 97. My dad got a new job out by the Salt Lake Airport, and so we moved closer to it. Um, I was always a sports girl growing up. I played everything, really. I played softball one year when I was 12, but that year my lungs betrayed me. I remember one night I was coughing and I just couldn't catch my breath. And every time I tried to catch my breath, I would start coughing again. So my mom took me into the doctors and I was so mad at her because the next day we had our championship softball game. And if I was sick, I wasn't able to go to that game, right? I played left field. I can't bat worth crap. I mean, I was the ninth batter on the team and it was a good thing if I didn't strike out. <laughs> Needless to say, I haven't kept up that before, but I've been hit by the pitch so many times. I was just scared to stand in the batter's box. And this was fast pitch softball at 12. Like it was a competitive league. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been there. But that's where my friends were. So that's where I wanted to be. I went to the doctors. They put the oxygen thing on my finger. I was down at 65, which is a dangerous zone. You need to be up around, up, up above 90 for your oxygen stats. So the, you know, the doctor stays calm. They're like, okay, well, we're going to walk you over to the ER. So I walked across the street to the emergency room. They pulled me straight back into the treatment room, hooked me up on oxygen, and there I remained for a week. Oh, no. I had, um, I had pneumonia, and it took me down when I was 12. So I remember, like, all my teammates, they came in to the hospital room to, you know, tell me how the game had gone. And, of course, I wasn't there, which they probably didn't miss me, to be honest, because somebody actually <laughs> hated my position. Well, that was the last time I played softball. Then my mom, she made me, so I did volleyball my seventh grade year. I played school volleyball my seventh grade year. It was the very first time I'd ever played it. And she told me, she's like, you can't determine if you like a sport based off of this last season because you don't really know it yet. So I remember crying the entire time. She forced me to go try out at these club volleyball tryouts. And funny thing is, is I never stopped playing for the next 14 years. I played volleyball every single weekend. We'd go from school ball to college to co to comp ball. And literally my senior year of high school, I had one weekend where I wasn't on the volleyball court my entire senior year. That one weekend, whether I was coaching, I coached a 12-year-old team and then playing, I only had the one weekend. So literally volleyball has been my life. Then I went to undergrad at Southern Utah University at, in Cedar City. I played college volleyball there where I got introduced to a high school coach in Southern Utah, Hurricane High, and he coaxed me into coaching with him. So I coached with him for three years. When we won, we won state in 3A 2013. Because in 2014, I moved to Oregon where I went to get my doctorate degree and, and pursue the functional medicine world. So I literally grew up playing volleyball. 
that was me. That was who I am. SUU was where we met. And that was the last time I saw you. So tell us, when did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor? So I graduated from SUU with a bachelor's degree in nutrition. And I always liked the idea of how food can help you heal. But what I was taught was that the food pyramid, the food plate, those were good things. You know what the government says that we should we should eat. I was taught that dairy is a great source of calcium. I was taught the RDA values, meaning you should have a certain amount of vitamin A and vitamin C and vitamin D and, and just those simple values that were taught. And there was a great foundation. But after I graduated with my bachelor's in nutrition, I was just searching around for for jobs. And I'd always had this idea in my mind that my bachelor's degree was not going to be the end. That was just a first stepping stone. And what it did was it got me into a chiropractor's office who worked on, who did a little bit of functional medicine. What I like to say is he dabbled in it. He put his, he put his toe in the water. So it introduced me to this whole new world. I had not a clue what chiropractic was. I had never been adjusted in my life. I had not a clue what functional medicine was. I didn't even know. I grew up in a Western medicine world. If you got sick, you went to the doctors and got antibiotics. That's just what we did. That's what we knew. And until I got introduced to this other world, and I remember I was his assistant, the chiropractor's assistant. So I would take patients back into the rooms. I would work on them for a little while, make some notes, and then he would come in. And I would build these relationships with these individuals, mostly women. And I would get told all the time about these hormone problems, problems with libido, problems with menopause, problems with, you know, girl stuff. And then they would say, don't tell the doctor. Even though they could, he could help them, it was just a matter of, I'm a woman, he's a man. And yeah. I would rather talk to women about woman problems because they understand. Before we get too far into functional medicine, can you, for those that don't know what it is, can you explain what is functional medicine? So functional medicine answers the question, why? You know, you go to your doctors and you're like, why are my thyroid labs normal when I have every single sign WebMD tells me in? I should have thyroid problems. Why can I not have a baby? Why am I struggling to cook dinner at night when my best friend has five kids and keep, can keep her house clean and still has energy to cook dinner? Why am I faking it for two hours a week at church? It answers the question, why? Mm -hmm. So you go to your doctor's office you tell them, I'm just so chronically fatigued. Like, I'm so tired all the time. My brain, it's just not what it used to be. Why? Well, if they don't have enough symptoms to cluster them underneath an umbrella, which that umbrella is going to then be a diagnosis, they don't really know what to do because then there's no drug for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So after seeing enough of these women who have these issues that are not being taken care of, okay, after seeing enough of these women who kept having the same issues and nobody was fixing them, I was like, okay, something has to be changed. Something's got to be different. And that's when I decided if I'm going to work with these individuals, 
I can't look at their health the same way that everybody else looks at them because I'm going to get the same results. Yeah. And that's well, when functional medicine came into play because it really dives into what's causing the issue, the why behind all the symptoms. It's not just going to say, oh, well, you have fibromyalgia. Here, take Lyrica. It says, why can you not sleep? Why are you always tired? And why does your body hurt? And then it gives you the tools if you do the right trainings to figure out that why and then to heal it. So it literally is figuring out the cause behind the symptoms and fixing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think about, I feel like I've been blessed generally pretty healthy, but after I had my second child, Liam, we ended up picking up this staph infection. I think we probably got it from the hospital and it seemed to keep coming back. And anytime I'd go to a doctor and I'd have like a new symptom of something like somewhere else, I would tell them, I think this is the staph infection. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. Normally I'm pretty healthy and all of a sudden I'm having all these random things that are happening, whether it was like in my eye or different things, but, but we were moving around enough like in between moving from Dallas to Chicago. And so we were going to all these different doctors and seeing a different person each time. Finally, I was like, okay, I need to take matters into my own hands. I can't just go to the doctor and expect them to be the expert on this. I really need to figure out what's going on too, and be able to figure out how to really prevent this from continuing to show up. We can take an antibiotic, but a couple months later, if it comes back, then obviously we haven't got to the root of the problem. Right. Exactly. Have you had any luck? Yeah, no, we're, we're good now, but it was, we literally had, I had to start washing towels every single day. We couldn't reuse towels. We had to make sure our kids were scrubbed clean with this special soap. It seemed like this nightmare thing that lasted well over a year. It was like every couple months, somebody in our family would get it and it would spread. It was just like this terrible thing that I felt like never would go away be able to see the right doctors, but also kind of figure out, okay, we need to also do all of these hygiene things around the house because yeah, we're proactive. Yeah. So, but it was, it's hard because I think we just naturally trust this doctor went to medical, like they know the answer, but I think sometimes you really do need to kind of take matters into your own hands because every doctor isn't always going to understand the whole story right right and I always teach people because they get so frustrated with their doctors and I'm like listen it's not your doctor's fault they're doing the best that they can the problem lies in how they were that's the problem not your doctor your doctor is trying to help you and he's getting frustrated that they can't but they don't have the tools in their toolbox because they weren't taught those right yeah so tell us a little bit about medical school, what that was like for you. I know that you ended up being pregnant in medical school. So tell us what that whole experience was like and juggling all of the things of being pregnant, having to study and do all these things. Tell us what that experience was like. Well, I don't recommend it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful nine months. It was awful. So I'm actually a trained chiropractor. That's the that's the path I went, and if I would have gone and done anything anything back, I would have gone do. But 
the chiropractic gives me the doctor's license. Like I am a doctor. I call myself Dr. Kylie. It is a doctorate degree. The problem with chiropractic is I don't, I don't tell people I'm a chiropractor because they think, oh, well, you just crack backs and crack necks. And that's like not even what I do. I don't even own a chiropractic table. But what it gave me was the knowledge and the degree to be able to pull medical records. The only difference was, was I got trained more on the natural side of things versus the pharmaceutical side. Like we only had one class in pharmacy. We had multiple classes in nutrition and herbs and things like that. So it was a it was an alternative route, but it fit my four-year need. And to think about school, because people don't understand what chiropractic school is, and I didn't when I signed up for it. I mean, the, the guy who I worked for tried to warn me about it, but there was no warning. You just try to survive it when you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I get there on orientation day. When I get there, I say, I'm from Utah. I grew up in Utah. I came back to Utah, but I'm in Portland, Oregon, living with a stranger who is now my best friend, and we're practically twins. We look like twins. We act like twins, but we were strangers at the time. So we go to orientation, and they tell us what it's going to be like. School starts at 7.30, Monday through Friday. We go from 7.30 to 5.30 every day and plan on five to eight hours of studying afterwards every day. Wow. You, it's literally cramming medical school into four years rather than eight. I would take 30, on average, 30 credits at a time. And that was just because that's how the program was set up. And there was a massive amount of material. In fact, on a given, on any given week, we could easily have five exams. I remember the week before I got married, It was fifth quarter out of 12. There were 12 quarters. Fifth quarter was a beast because we had 36 credits that we were doing. The week before I got married, just because of the time it happened, I started testing finals week Monday morning. They gave us Friday off. So I had tests Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday was off. And then Saturday and Sunday, I took national board exams. Monday, my fiance, now husband, and I flew out because he had moved to Oregon like a month before that. (laughs) And so we flew back to Utah Monday, drove to central Utah, Manti, where we got married, and then returned home later that week. So the the seven days prior to getting married, I took 22 exams. Wow, that's insane. And that was just standard. Like it, you got to the point where it was just, oh, we have a test today. Okay, give me the scantron, I'll fill it out, kind of thing. Was we there were just so many tests you couldn't keep track of them. I remember one of my classmates added up all the tests that we took, and she said it was over five hundred tests in two years, four years. Oh my goodness, that was stressing me out. It's insane. So every time I run into an obstacle now in life, it's just like, oh well, I conquered chiropractic school or med school in four years i can do anything right if i can talk about 22 exams a week before i got married i can do anything nothing's gonna be in my way anymore yeah i'm sure your wedding you were like the all the details of your wedding that was the least of your concerns you're like i'm here and i'm not taking a test and i'm happy to get married here i am yeah, yeah I, I didn't plan anything on my wedding i told them what colors i wanted uh, I kind of gave them a gist of what I want it to be like. And I was just like, just, I'll just show up. You tell me where to go, where I need to be. 
and that's that's cool with me that's you how know, it was i think my wedding was actually not very stressful we we had a a designer lady come in and I kind of just told her, these are the colors. I like this bouquet. I found a picture. I was like, I think this is great. And she just put it all together. We gave her a budget. And I remember like showing up and be like, this looks great. I love it. You know? And yeah. I think now I probably would be a lot more like, wanting to plan all these details, but at the time it wasn't a big deal and it was great. And so I think it's, it's not, it's not a bad way to plan a wedding. Yeah, my mom and sister-in-law did it. My sister-in-law just loves everything about weddings. And I'm like, I have other things to worry about. A wedding is the last on my plate. Just let me get married and whatever happens, happens. And I was fine with it. We, did, we got married on a Tuesday. Was we had every Between every quarter, we had a two-week break. So usually I would come home those two weeks. And the funny thing is, is I met my husband. We were a blind date a month before I moved to Oregon. Oh, wow. I meet him and then I tell him like, hey, listen, I'm moving to Oregon. I'd love to stay in touch and, you know, just kind of see how how things roll out. So we would talk on the phone every once in a while. I would come home every three months, basically for a week, a week or week and a half. We'd go on a date, maybe two, um, just kind of stay in touch. And then it was October of that first year I moved up there. So we had known each other for about a year and he called me up and said he was moving to Portland. And I said, why? He was like, because I need to be closer to you. <laughs> so then I was like, well, if you're moving up here, I mean, he dropped his business. He sold his house. And he dropped everything, moved to Oregon. I was like, that means we're getting married, right? That's what you're telling me? <laughs> oh, needless to say, we got married a couple months later. That's um, awesome. I like that so I had, when we got married, I had two years left of school and we decided that if I, if I could time it right, we could have a baby right when I finished school. I had no idea what pregnancy was going to be like. I didn't know you were going to be like crashed, exhausted <laughs> every minute the first trimester. I had no idea. Oh, was no, there else we wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. We would. You know, but, you know. falls out afterwards and you in clumps and it's like why do I have no hair left on my head <laughs> so I got I got pregnant and I had nine months left literally the due date was the week I was finishing school all of my requirements from like internships and clinical stuff and all of that and I was so sick so so sick I know there are people that are that are sicker and have to be on IV tubes and things. And I just got to the point where every other week I would go in and get IV for hydration. Man. I couldn't keep, I couldn't keep food down. And You're probably like sitting your IV and also have a book in front of you studying. Sorry, I can't take a break. Can you put me full of fluids and quiz me on this information? Yeah, story of my life. Nurses and I became pretty good friends, and they would sit and review all of their stuff while I was going reviewing all my stuff for tests. During that pregnancy, I was throwing up constantly, trying to keep food down. I remember I lived off of Jamba Juices because I would have to be to the clinic at 7.30 in the morning. We wouldn't get done till 6.30 at night. 
And I would literally just go grab a large Jamba juice with two scoops of protein in it and sip that all day long. And that would be what I ate all day, every day. That was my survival. So the national board exams were broken up into four parts. And the fourth part was an all-day, four-hour, in-person type thing. And I remember thinking in my head, like, how am I going to make it four hours? I'm, you know, 30 weeks pregnant. I have to be able to pee at some point. (laughs) And how am I going to be able to keep food down and not get hungry and not get nauseous during those four hours? Like, it was all things I had to manipulate on top of actually passing the dang test. I passed it, though, and I survived. And did you get sick during the test? I got hungry, yeah. I I'd taken a Subway sandwich because we basically had to be in quarantine the entire day. So we didn't talk to our other classmates about, you know, the test. So they had us locked up in this room and they would take us out, you know, group by group, depending on what time you were in and all that fun stuff. And I I just had a a Subway footlong sandwich because it was, you know, it hardly had any smell. It was just bland. I just sat and feast at it all day long. So I survived the day, but I'm so grateful. I did not have to go back and retake that test. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. So my question for you is, you know, when you were in medical school and you were sick and just having a hard time and really just like, I don't know what I'm doing. What have I got myself into? If you could go back in time and give yourself advice, what, what would you say? One, don't get pregnant in medical school. <laughs> um, two, I th- I would have liked to know, have known what pregnancy was actually going to entail. Because I would literally fall asleep on the couch 10 minutes between class. My, my old roommate would come wake me up, tell me it was class time. I was just literally always on survival mode. So it wasn't like I got to enjoy any, enjoy it. It was, it was horrible. It was horrendous. And then, but like, honestly, I have a three-year-old, he's three years old now. And he's like the joy of life, right? You have, you go through all these miserable pregnancies. I mean, it can be miserable to even, miserable to even try to get pregnant to begin with. Then you have a pregnancy and then you go through labor and all of that fun stuff that a woman has to go through over and over again just to have a kid. And we do it multiple times because we want to. Lisa's kept us on our toes, kept us happy. If I were to go back and tell myself anything, one, don't get pregnant. Two, <laughs> be, be in better communication with like the clinicians, the professors, the doc I was working with. Some of them were really good in working with me and helping me out. And others, like they were so rude. One of the docs I worked closely with, he was like, well, my wife's pregnancies weren't like that. I'm like, well, I'm great. That's great for your wife. I'm sorry I'm not like that. I'm sorry I can't. I don't have energy to be treating patients for five hours straight kind of thing. And we actually, to be honest, actually got suspended uh, while I was pregnant during clinical stuff because I was trying to do functional medicine. And there was a lady that had come in to the, to the, from the community who had done all of the MRIs, all the CT scans, all the blood work, every test under the sun, and it had all come back normal. And here she is sitting on my treatment table. I'm a student. 
she's wanting me to like transform some magical thing here. <laughs> and that's when I really said, you know, if I look at her the same way everybody else looks at her, I'm just going to get the same result. And that wasn't okay with me. <clears throat> so at the time, I had a 25-page intake form. Imagine going to your doctor's office and then giving you a 25-page form that you had to fill out. It's crazy. It was very comprehensive, but in order to figure out, you know, what's truly going on, I need to know it all. I need to know if there's white lines on your nails. I need to know if you can fall asleep and stay asleep at night. All these things that we don't think of just because it's normal life. You know, I need to know how many times you have to change out your pad or your tampon. Is your period heavy? Because to you, it's just normal. But is it really heavy? Yeah. Kind of so all these things that we don't think of as symptoms, and we don't think to tell your doctor, I had them just as a checklist. So you just check the box if you had it or not. I've never had anybody complain about it. Let's just say that. Um, most people are like, yes, I'm, I'm so thankful that somebody is finally listening to me and finally getting all the puzzle pieces. So I had this form I was using. And as a student, you know, that's breaking the rules because I'm supposed to use this half sheet five questionnaire thing that they wanted me to use and I didn't so they pulled my treating rights for a week which ended up being a blessing because at that time I was so sick with the pregnancy and I was so busy with patients I was one of those few who had patients right and left um, most of my classmates were really struggling to get patients and to get their numbers but because of you know community connections and the way I do things um, that was not a difficult problem for me my problem was I had I was falling behind on all of the other clinical requirements the paperwork things the computerized cases that you had to go over all this other stuff that wasn't inpatient with a patient care I was falling behind in because I simply just didn't have time I was always with patients so it ended up being a blessing in disguise but at the time, I remember going home crying because I, you know, you got suspended in school. Who does that? Now it's a great story and I laugh at it. But back then it was very upsetting to me. I was doing something different, not fitting in the mold. And they didn't like that. So when I graduated, I don't know who was more, who was happier about it. Me graduating or them getting me off their campus. <laughs> But now I run my own thing, so I'm able to treat patients the way I need to treat them and the way that they need to be treated. But you have to be able to break free of the system. If you don't break free of the system, then the system's going to keep dictating your care. Yeah. yeah. There are obviously different types of doctors for a reason. There are certain things that we need Western medicine for, and then there's other things that maybe the problem would be better solved with a functional medicine doctor. And like you said, you know, if all these people are going to like their traditional doctors and the problem isn't being solved, then by the time they come to you, they're like, okay, I'm willing to, to fill out this 25 page questionnaire. I just want this problem solved. I don't want to keep living my life. Yeah. That way. So yeah, I always say, if you break your arm, don't you dare walk into my office. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with that. Yeah. All, all the chronic stuff, the issues that have been going on for 20, 30 years, the issues that people just can't figure out. For example, I have a 14-year-old girl who she's got really heavy, painful periods, um, which they've classified as endometriosis. 
but she literally is on the couch all day long, writhing in pain. They've given her birth control and an anti-anxiety pill, telling her that her problems are anxiety-driven, which they're, they're definitely worsened by the anxiety. Um, but the endometriosis is just one piece of the puzzle. When I pulled her medical record labs, I can trace infections clear back to when she's three years old. I can trace flares of autoimmunity all the way back till she's three years old. And at, and at two, she had chemotherapy um, due to some cancer. So her body's been through a lot. And endometriosis is just one piece of the puzzle. When yeah. you figure, you can figure out the whole puzzle to this acute, awful scenario that doesn't fit underneath one umbrella, that's when you get patients healed and whole and, and literally dreaming again. So that's the reason why I chose functional medicine. That's why it's worked so well for me. But it's definitely only for those individuals where who want to break free of the system, but also who are willing to step out and try new things. And it's not for everybody. If you know, if you're on thyroid medication and it's working, then that's great. That's great that you feel better. But if you wanted to get off that thyroid medication to figure and figure out why your thyroid is struggling, then that would be where I would step in and functional yeah. medicine. And functional medicine can, like people can do it wrong. I've had multiple patients coming in from experiences with other alternative care providers, whether it's a naturopath, functional medicine doc, chiropractor, um, homeopath, herbologist, like whatever, you name it, they've had negative experiences because everybody has their niche and they do things their own way. Um, but one example, one of my recent patients, she's like, I dropped over $10,000 on herb supplements just because they were constantly having, they were constantly driving my detox systems. And yeah, detox systems are important, but they're only one piece of the puzzle. And until you can figure out the whole puzzle, we're going to not get patients better. So when I pulled her labs, I was able to figure out, you have a viral infection. And until we conquer that viral infection, whatever the case it is, I don't know what it is. I just know it's viral. Then you're not going to heal. doesn't matter what you try. So yeah. they're missing some pieces in the, in the game here. And that's why I've specialized in taking normal labs and converting them into answers, healing, and hope based off of the functional medicine optimal lab ranges. So you might get told that your labs are normal. They're, they're, of course they're normal. You want them to be normal. If they weren't normal, you have a liver disease, kidney disease, heart failure, whatever it is. If they're not optimal, that's when you still feel crap. You still are sick. And I always love numbers because numbers never lie. Yeah, my husband, he went to the doctor. I He just got some lab work done. I don't even remember why he did. I think he just was curious. And he saw that he has high cholesterol. And the doctor just kind of said, remember what the numbers were, whatever. But it was kind of like, when you're at like 10%, then we'll put you on um, medication Sorry. for cholesterol. And my husband just kind of looked at him. I'm changing my diet right now so that I don't ever have to get put on medication. Like he saw that he had high cholesterol and then he's all right, I need to do all these things to fix it. But the, but the doctor just kind of said, you're fine right now. But when you get like, once it gets worse, then we'll put you on medicine. And you know, his dad also has high cholesterol. So I think it's easy to say like, Oh, look, this is genetic. And obviously there's genetic components, but 
you know, it is interesting how much he looked at his diet and it was like, what am I eating? Like everything I eat is like has high cholesterol. And so I was really impressed with him because he immediately just made some changes to, you know, cut a lot of meat out and try to add some like good fiber and everything to his diet. And, you know, my husband that I married that would eat grilled cheese sandwich every day for lunch (laughs) has like really added a lot more nutritious diet to. And so, but I think it is, it's good to to remember that medicine isn't the the only solution. And yes, there's lots of times where we do need medication, but there are other things we can do to try to prevent that from getting worse. Do you mind sharing about your pregnancy with Addison? Is that something that you would want to share with yeah, us? I can probably share about it because it, it transformed who I am as a doctor. So up until this point, I had never really experienced, I mean, yeah, I had pneumonia when I was 12. And actually, when I was 18, I remember joking around with my grandma about taking the same amount of pills as she was. I was on nine different medications at 18 years old. I had to have my throat scoped three different times times because I was it was like closing off. The heartburn, the acid reflux was so bad. I could barely eat. I could barely swallow anything. Up until that point, I really hadn't had an actual instance where I felt like my body betrayed me and that's what a lot of my patients feel is that I'm I'm a stranger in my own skin and so of course I had the pregnancy with Easton that one was awful Um, and then a couple months later I got pregnant again and that pregnancy was very very different I wasn't sick I it was just it was like was am I even pregnant like if I didn't have the tests and then if I hadn't had periods like I wouldn't have guessed I was pregnant because I didn't feel like I was pregnant in comparison to the first go around it was Thanksgiving of 2017 I Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday (laughs) because all of my family gets together we become rednecks and it's just awesome (laughs) I love I love the family time with all my cousins and, and stuff like that so we got together with family that year and all of us got struck with the flu. And I'm talking 48 hours, throwing up. You can't even get Gatorade down. It was Man. so bad. I was 19 weeks pregnant. And I remember I remember thinking, you know, I literally have, I have a nine-month-old baby. And I have, I'm 17 weeks pregnant, 19 weeks pregnant. And I remember thinking, like, I'm just going to survive this. We're all going to survive it. It's going to be okay. I mean, aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, siblings, we all got struck with it. Then that next Monday, so the following week after Thanksgiving, I started to notice some spotting. I didn't think much of it. I just remember telling my husband, I don't, I think something's wrong, but I don't think it's that wrong. I have an appointment next week. I'll just wait for the appointment and we can go there. And then Saturday night at about three o'clock in the morning, I got woken up. Water everywhere. I was soaked. My clothes were soaked. The bed was soaked. And I had just literally experienced a pregnancy, a, a labor, you know, nine months previously. So I knew what this meant. My water had broke and that wasn't good. At this point, I was 20 weeks pregnant, 
So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go in the bathroom, clean up, and then, then I'll get back to bed and I'll just, I'll sleep it off. It's okay. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't want to realize what's happening when it's happening, when it's that bad. Yeah. And so I, that's what I did. I went, I went and got back in bed and then the contraction started. I woke up my husband and I said, honey, I'm in trouble. We got to go. And luckily my parents are a couple miles down the road and they had their phone on. They answered. I told my mom, I said, mom, you got to come get Easton. I got to go to the ER. I'm in trouble. So she came and got Easton, who, you know, was the baby at the time. And I remember getting to the hospital and it was just like bleeding everywhere. Oh man, I'm sure that was so scary. And I got taken to the back to the room, told them, you know, I'm pregnant. The contractions, like every time a contraction hit, there there was it was literally like my body was literally betraying me and there was no way I could stop it. No matter how bad I wanted to stop those contractions, I couldn't. It was it was less than an hour later after arriving in the hospital that one of the contractions picked up my baby girl and she laid there on the table. And I remember the ER doctor and I and he just obviously didn't know how to handle the scenario or or it inspired or brought something up from his past. I don't know because he didn't handle it well. He looked up like underneath the blanket I was under with you know, there's blood everywhere, all over the table. She's laying underneath me. I knew it because I'd lost her. And, you know, you get that feeling where it's like, oh, you, you just lost your baby. He said to me, he's like, oh, you've had a miscarriage. And then walked out of the room. I was like, no, duh. I'm, oh my gosh. I'm very aware of what had just happened. So they called in my midwife who came in and helped me, took me from ER up to labor and delivery. And... They left me in all of this blood and tissue because they wanted my midwife to see how much blood loss I had lost, you know? I don't understand that from a medical standpoint, but as a patient, I'm laying in all of this. And my yeah. baby is still underneath me. No one's bothered picking her up and handing her to me. My husband, meanwhile, is not, because of his history, isn't doing very well with the scenario. And he's in the hallway just completely, you know, blocked himself from what's happening to me in the room and Addison was born December 3rd of 2017 at 20 weeks old and I remember the nurses I mean the labor and delivery was awesome because you know they're labor and delivery they're trained for this yeah they they were really really good really good the girls like took took her little body that was the size of my hand and washed it off and handed it handed her to me. So I was able to hold her for a little bit and then I they asked me like what did I want what did I want to do with her body? And you know, I'm in shock. I have if I were to go back and do things differently now, I definitely would have. But at the time I was just like so overwhelmed with what had happened. I was literally starting my clinic the next month. So here I am having a nine month old, a baby, and I'm about to start a clinic. But now I've lost my baby. I've lost all this blood. I can barely, you know, I can barely see straight. So I just told them that they could do whatever the hospital does with babies. If I were to go back, I would take her and give her like a proper burial. And yeah. I knew the 
nurse meant well, but because of my beliefs and the way I see life after death, the fact that she said, oh, they, they have a great burial service. They have a, a really beautiful cremation ceremony. And at the time I was just, I literally was in shock. But now I go back and I look at it. I'm like, that's that really what I wanted to do with my baby? Like she's my baby. Now, and the only thing I have left of her, like we didn't take pictures or anything. They took her to, a, I think it's called Utah Share. It's a group of women who have lost, who have had stillborns or lost babies. Um, and they take them and they do like a footprint and a handprint. So yeah. that's, those are the molds I have. That's the only thing I have left of the scenario. But looking back now, it's like I can, I can empathize with patients when they say, especially, you know, especially when they say, I've had three kids my fourth pregnancy, I lost them at 16 weeks. I'm an emotional mess. Nobody else understands it. And now I can't get pregnant. I get that. I totally understand it. And I've spent many tears crying with, with patients over this, um, whether it's infertility, miscarriages, stillborns. I mean, that's just where my heart is because of what I've experienced and I also of what other people experience as well. Losing Addison was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but it also brought a whole entire new perspective, a perspective that I had never had before. And now I'm still trying to navigate things. My family doesn't understand, like my aunts and uncles and, and mom. Um, I do have one cousin that lost a baby at six weeks. So I under, like they, un some of them understand, but what you have to learn is if you've lost a baby at any point of your pregnancy, is that those people who have never lost won't understand and so you can't expect them to yeah when it comes holiday season i know christmas is right around the corner there are a couple of things that i would recommend you don't say to patients who are struggling with infertility or who have struggled with miscarriages i know one of my friends she just lost her second she lost her first lost her second and she's really having a hard time because like all of her sisters just had pregnancies that went smooth. Her mom's pregnancies all went smooth. Like, like unless you have experienced it, it's just something that you don't understand. And yeah. for those who have, you can't expect your family members to either. So I work with a lot of patients who do miscarry and who do struggle with infertility. And they say three things, and I would agree with them. So whoever's listening, don't say these three things during to a family member especially if they're struggling with infertility and miscarriages. The first one is the word just. Yeah. Just do IVF. Just do adoption. Just whatever. It really undermines their struggle and it like cracks at their heart. Yeah. Or two is at least. It's not that simple, right? Yes. At least you're married. At least you have a kid. At least you're healthy. At least you're happy. At least you have a job, whatever it is. Like, don't compare their struggle to something that they have because it's not going to go over well. Yeah. They'll never tell you about it. They'll just go home and cry in their bedroom. Yeah. The third one is what something somebody said to me was, well, aren't you due for another one? I had a two-year-old. Easton was two. We went to a family party. And my aunt said to me, hey, you have a two-year-old. You're due for another one. 
And I said, we actually lost one. We lost his little sister a year ago. And it was like, uh, she felt like an idiot. I mean, I didn't want to put her in her place, but just, just don't say those kind of things. Yeah. Don't tell something that because you have a two-year-old that you're due for another one. Yeah. Because you never, you never know what somebody is suffering with, especially when it comes to infertility. People don't talk about it. They don't, they don't tell you. And even miscarriages, you, you would be shocked at how many people have had a miscarriage and you have no idea. Yeah. That's why they say, well, we're not, we don't tell people we're pregnant until, you know, after the first trimester. It's just such a taboo thing. And I really wish it wasn't. Um, like I told my friend who had just lost hers, she's like, I, I want to post something on Facebook, but I'm scared to let people know. And I said, no, do it because this conversation needs to happen more. Yeah. The fact that women, like the statistics are one in four women, one in four pregnancies end early. Yeah. And you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. Well, and I also think being able to say something like, a lot of women have miscarriages. That's not something that is comforting. It's a lot of people will have parents that die eventually. And yes, that's true. But does that make it easy? Just because it happens often does not take away from the pain and suffering of, of where they're at. I was talking to a friend about this the other day because my mom experienced a couple miscarriages and I had an ectopic pregnancy at before I had my first. And Honestly, it was so heartbreaking and I was like just so devastated. My mom had experienced miscarriages, but it was in between. She ended up having six kids in six years. She had two sets of twins. I kind of like talked about it on my episode a few weeks ago, but but I mean when she had a miscarriage between those pregnancies, it wasn't very traumatic for her. So it's interesting because I feel like everyone can be at such a different stage and you have no idea what they're going through. I think also comparing people's stories or even I think saying, you know, well, how far along were you? And obviously, yes, I totally understand that. But that doesn't mean that if you're only three weeks along, that it still isn't hard that you miscarried that child and so I also think not saying like well how far along were you at least it wasn't full term or like you were saying before yeah, the whole word yeah those are those are good reminders and I think going into the holiday season it is important to be aware of people who more than anything in the world would want to have a baby for Christmas or be pregnant and that that just isn't a reality for them. And so I think we really do need to be sensitive to that and be able to do that. I mean, generally, I think a lot of times our close friends and family tend to be more sensitive, but it can be just like the random people that you meet at the grocery store that can say things that can be really hurtful. Yeah, it's a hard place to navigate, but if we're... Let's just talk right here for a second, Liz, about what causes a miscarriage. Because so many women, they they experience not only the physical trauma, because it's physical trauma. You have blood loss. You have tissue removal. For me, they, they decided not to give me a blood transfusion. I wish they would have, but they decided not to. I was on the border. It literally took me a good three months to get back the energy that I had before because of all the blood loss. And... The worst, the week afterwards, I couldn't be by myself with my baby. 
I had to have somebody with me because I couldn't stand up and hold him. I could sit down and hold him, but when it came to like walking around the house, I had to always be holding on to something because I was so weak. So besides the physical turmoil, there's emotional turmoil as well. And it can last for years and years and years. I had one patient tell me that one of her family members said, well, it's been three years. Shouldn't you be over it by now? You never get over it. It's a baby. You lost one of your kids. So don't expect yourself to get over it. And, And for me, it's like I was sitting at the table last week, and I just look up at my family picture, and I start crying. Like, it just hits you when it hits you. Yeah. Let the tears come. Let the emotions flow. Don't stop it. So when it comes to uh, the causes of miscarriage, that's really what isn't talked about or discussed or taught. So if we can share here, the most common cause of miscarriage is just that the genes don't mesh. The genetic composition just doesn't mesh and the body aborts it. That's the number one. So that's the most common in like a six to nine week period, especially that first trimester. If you just had a miscarriage, you know, it's your first, or if you've had three babies and then you just had a miscarriage, it's usually the cause. The second cause would be low progesterone numbers. And when your body gets pregnant, your progesterone spikes, it goes through the roof. And if it doesn't spike high enough, then the miscommunication happens and your body doesn't realize that you're pregnant and this is the fetus is healthy and should stay there, it starts to attack the fetus. So one of the ways that gynecologists are starting to combat this now is to give progesterone to individuals. Um, That's why they're doing the progesterone shots to prevent early labor. Uh That's cause number two. Cause number three was mine, what I experienced, a stressor. A huge stressor came into my life, the flu. And I've had family members, you know, tell me, well, so-and-so gave you the flu. Are you mad at them? No, it never even crossed my mind until you brought it up. <laughs> you all just got the flu. That was it. That was what happened. You know, that that's God's plan for me, for me to understand, you know, what patients are going through, to understand that from a different perspective. So a stressful event can cause the miscarriage, which it did in me. And then you go to, I, so then I got pregnant again. I have a, th- a six-month-old baby now. That pregnancy after a miscarriage messes with your head. My first pregnancy was physical hardship. My third pregnancy was mentally taxing. Um, I, because of what happened the second time, the second pregnancy with Addison, my midwife, who was the same midwife that helped me with Addison, she sent me to a high-risk doc. And the high-risk doc, bless her heart, she's just very, she's trained very differently than I am. But she was telling me how if I didn't, because due to the research, if I didn't do X, Y, Z, there was a 50 to 70% chance that it would happen again. Here I am, 12 weeks pregnant, getting told that there's a very real possibility I'm going to lose my baby again in six to seven weeks due to what the research says. 
Wow. So I left that. Thank heavens my husband was with me. He didn't, he wasn't going to be there with me. I told him, I was like, I'll just go in by myself. It'll be fine. He's like, no, I'm coming in with you. So he came in for the emotional support. Thank heavens. And cause I left that office bawling. I was so upset. We went to um, lunch afterwards to talk about it. And he said, he told me one thing. He said, Kylie, what does your education tell you? Cause she had sat and told me how the flu had nothing to do with it. It was all statistically driven and nothing to do with the flu. I totally disagree with her. It had everything to do with the flu. My body had a choice. Do I feed me or do I feed the baby? And of course it's going to feed me. So I did not listen to a word she said about what I had to do. And I have a very healthy six month old right now. Um, and I've experienced this with patients where they go back to their gynecologist and their gynecologist says, oh, well, you have a thyroid problem. That's why you lost it. And now they're terrified to go into the next pregnancy because they have this so-called thyroid problem that nobody's ever told them about before. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of advice from everywhere. Just stick with your gut. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you feel. And then just know it's going to mess with your head the whole time. But you're going to be okay. I think that's great advice to listen to your gut. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about what you've learned about vitamin D and how that can help with depression? Anxiety and depression is through the roof right now. We have been sitting in COVID crisis for the last six months or eight months or however long it has been now. And I've had so many moms reach out to me and say that their teenagers are suicidal. What do they do? I've had moms say that their anxiety is so high that they can't even eat. If they do eat, they throw it all up. So anxiety and depression are super, super high right now. And if I could do one thing for someone, whoever's listening, vitamin D is astronomically helpful in curbing anxiety and depression. But you can't just take 2,000 IUs a day. That's a typical serving size. So if you have vitamin D in your house right now, go get it. Look at the serving size. It's going to use IUs. That's just the way that they measure vitamin D. So when I say that, don't worry about it. You'll understand when you look at the serving size. What you need to do, and here's what I do with anybody who asks and anybody who's on Facebook with me. 25,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. You might be thinking, that's a lot. I'm only taking five or 10. That's okay. Jack it up. 25,000 IUs per day, do that for one month. Month number two, 20,000 IUs per day for a month. Month number three, 15,000, and then maintain at 10,000 after that. So you're gonna jack up your vitamin D levels. And when it comes to labs, a normal vitamin D lab is gonna be between 30 and 100. That's not good enough. That's like finding your favorite restaurant anywhere from California to New York. It's not good enough. If you get your vitamin D levels up to 80 to 100, that's when you start noticing a difference in how you feel physically. It will literally calm the anxiety. It will literally combat some depression type symptoms and give you some more motivation, some more drive, some more energy that you're searching for. Just simply off of taking vitamin D. It's super, super cool and super, super easy. I don't know if I've told you I'm actually pregnant. Um, baby number three. We just found out we're having a girl. And Aww. when they did my labs, 
it came back that I was low in vitamin D, which living in Dallas, Texas and having a summer, I was actually pretty surprised that I was low in vitamin D. I started taking vitamin D, but I think I was, while you were talking about, they didn't tell me how much to take. So I've just been taking one pill, which I assume is 2000. Yeah, take a lot more, especially if you say that they're, if it's low, jack that up because that's going to help baby too. You're going to get some vitamin D in the baby. Okay. And everybody, like I literally will say, have people say, well, I'm in the Caribbean. I'm out, I'm outside in the sun all day. And you are, but our bodies cannot make it like they used to make it from the sun. And the sun has to go through so much crap in the environment to get to our skin. So going out in the sun is helpful. You're going to get some vitamin D from it, but you're typically not going to get enough, especially if you're low. Do that for the next three three months. I mean, it's I did that during pregnancy as well. So it's not going to harm baby. It's not going to harm you. And if your body doesn't need it, it's just going to get rid of it. So you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll notice that you'll feel a big difference with, with just that simple vitamin D status. Awesome. Well, thanks for the advice. Well, it's been so fun talking to you. I have one last question for you. And that's the question I ask everybody. And it's if you could go back in time and give yourself advice at any stage of life, where would you go and what would you say? But if I were to go back and do anything, I would probably encourage myself to just be more patient with my current husband in our dating process. Because we met, like I said, we met on a blind date a month before I moved to Oregon. And I was terrified to meet him. It was just one of those things that was like, if I meet him, I have to actually take a leap of faith and actually give a part of my heart to somebody. And I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, I would have, I would look back now and just say, be patient with him because he was working through things that I didn't know existed at the time. Now I knew existed. And like to give you a little background, he, he used to be a drug addict, alcoholic, everything under the sun. He did it. And then he has totally, completely changed and transformed his life, cleaned it all up, and is now a completely different human being. But I didn't know all of this dating him. So just going back to the whole, you don't know what people are going through. Just be careful on what you say, how you treat them, and simply live by the golden standard and simply be kind. You know, because we're all, we're all fighting this battle we call life. And we're all in it in some place, some time period in our lives. And we all wish it could be better in some way, shape, or form. And it can be if we treat each other like we would want to be treated. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Well, that's great. I think we can always be a little bit more patient with people. And I think as we get to learn what they're going through, it makes more sense. But I think a lot of times with our limited view of people, it's easier to judge them. And once you really get to know them, then you really love them for who they are because you understand what journey they've been on to get them to where they are. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview today. I really enjoyed chatting with you and thanks for opening up and sharing about your pregnancy loss. I know that that's not always easy to share, but I think that it's valuable to hear about that and how that's helped you to be a better doctor. Yeah, I dive into that and more in my, what was it, episode three of my podcast, Beyond the Diagnosis with me, Dr. Kylie. If you want to go learn more about the experience and uh, dive into more functional medicine, I'm great. I'd love to have you. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me. 
I mean, you're doing awesome stuff too, sharing people's stories and really diving in into who they are beyond the physical, beyond, beyond what they look like, really getting to know people. I love it. I love what you're doing. And I love that we were able to touch back again. That's awesome. You know, 10 years after we graduated or whatever. And yeah, it's cool. Back together. This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. I really appreciate all your support. If this episode helped you, please share it with a friend. Feel free to reach out if you have any recommendations for topics or people that you would like to hear in the next upcoming episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week.